Hello and welcome to the Fabulous at 50 podcast, celebrating a vibrant global community of women over 50 through entertaining interviews that will inspire, educate, and empower. Your host, Joanne Nuaduck, was born to nurture and promote vibrance. Joanne is both the Community Director for Calgary, Canada, and oversees the global operations for Fabulous at 50. As an oncology nurse, integrative practitioner in multiple modalities, life skills mentor and manager, Joanne moves people from challenging situations to positive outcomes through the use of her innate gifts and learned skills. Here's your host, Joanne Nuaduck. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I have a fascinating guest for you today and truly her story is just amazing and I'm so grateful to have her on. So first of all, welcome Cynthia Hamilton Urquhart. Well, thank you very much, Joanne. I'm very excited to be here. Now, before we get started, I want to share your bio with our listening audience just so that they have a bit of a story and then you and I get to talk further on that subject. Cynthia is a retired RCMP officer. For those of you who are not from Canada, that stands for the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, and that is our national police force. Having served for over 25 years. She retired 10 years ago and two years into her retirement was diagnosed with complex PTSD and that stands for post-traumatic stress disorder. Her healing journey completely changed her life and she is now a speaker, writer, mentor and mental health advocate for first responders. Cynthia is currently writing her memoir, working with New York Times best-selling author Laura Munson. So welcome aboard. This is this is impressive and at the same time um truly heartfelt because you really have have experienced things that so many of us just hear about as you know our, for, that our first responders go through. So I'm I'm so fascinated to hear more about your story. Could you share just a little bit about, you know, about your story and maybe, you know, what, what shifted when you got into your midlife? Right. Well, um, very quickly, my, my story, I uh, joined the RCMP back in 1985. And, and the reason um, that I did that, I, I grew up in a family where my brother was disabled. And um, I found out at a very young age, how people that are, that are different uh, that don't fit in are picked upon and preyed upon. And it was uh, when I was six years old, I decided that I wanted to, to help other people and protect them. So um, I went to university, graduated and joined the RCMP. When I joined, uh, women had only been in the force for 11 years and only 4% of police officers at that time were actually women in Canada. So it was um, quite a journey to, to say the least. Um, I loved my career, but it was difficult. There were a lot of challenges. There were, there were high highs and low lows, of course. Um, I so can imagine that, 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 I mean, what I'm hearing right now is just what a trailblazer you are. And so before we even go any further, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the service that you have given. And I know that that has been like an incredible career for you. But at the same time, as you've said, is there, 
you know, first responder type work can be so difficult. Yeah, we, you know, we take it for granted. It's just something we don't think about because it's not something that everybody is drawn to and it's not something that everybody can deal with. And um, when I joined, and it's only starting to shift now, but um, we really, society in general um, hasn't valued mental health. It's that it's that bad, nasty topic that nobody talks about and we tiptoe around it. And it was no different in, in the first responder world. And, and by first responders, um, it's not just fire and police. That's what comes to people's mind. But you talk about um, our healthcare workers that are out there. You talk about veterinarians that are dealing with injured animals who have been yeah. abused and suffer. And so there's so many components, the military, our corrections officers. Um, it really is a wide um, angle of our society that um, we could look at and, and call first responders. So you know, we just did not value mental health. And I didn't either, not because I didn't want to, but I didn't know any better. It really, the difficult things that we deal with in policing, um, you were basically taught, you just, you don't, you just put it away. You take notes. Yeah, yeah. Tough it out, right? Like, you, you know, tough, you, you, tough it out. Can't, you can't do it. The, the place, it, we didn't have the right mechanisms, shall we say, or the resources in place back then. Um, so I'm curious, so I mean, you, you had a wonderful career and I'm just curious if we could tap into a little bit, like, were you married? Did you have children? How how did you juggle all that in your life? Yeah, um, well, it was, um, those things were, were huge challenges at the time. So I married young at 23 years old um, <clears throat> and I didn't have children till I was 28 around 28. So I, I had a same as me. That's what yeah, I Yeah. So just, you know, later on, but juggling parenthood and being a female police officer uh, really didn't go together. There were childcare issues there. Um, in those days, if we became pregnant, um, nobody replaced us. So if you worked in a, in a, a smaller detachment and you only had seven or eight people working, well, if, I got pregnant and was off, then um, nobody took my place and the, the guys had to carry the workload. Really? That's just so crazy. Were, that's yeah, it, it seems <laughs> really it, thinking back on that now, that's shameful. Well, and, but it was, it was the norm, you know, it was the norm. And I guess, yeah, if someone was off on sick leave for something else, then it would be the same. Yeah. Well, it, it would, but it was more acceptable. You know, it, it was something, it's like it was yeah. a choice and it was like uh, somehow we got pregnant on our own. I don't know how that works, but yeah. <laughs> it, it was it was just, it was the nature of things back then. So um, you would carry guilt with you that you were pregnant. We didn't have a year off. We had um, 16 weeks of full-time full -time pay and then an additional... Um, eight weeks if we wanted to take 50% cut in our pay. Mm -hmm. And um, that was that was very difficult to do. So basically, you know, you're going from being a nurturer back into being an enforcer. And it, it's a real struggle. It's a real struggle to go from parent. That's a really good point. Because honestly, like I mean, for those of us that have, you know, birthed the child, you're right. You're in, you have all those hormones coursing through your body to be more than nurturer. And it's not necessarily consistent with being the enforcer, not saying that women can't do it, but for that time, that period of time in your life, I've never given that thought before. 
Well, just to, just exactly. It's um, women can absolutely do it, but I can tell you when you don't know that it's coming when, um, you know, and you're, you're still, your body is coursing with hormones. You're still trying to heal for myself. I had very difficult births, so I physically mm -hmm. was still trying to heal. Um, you know, your breasts are, are leaking and yet you're out patrolling in a police car. Um, yeah. it, it's, it was a, a real difficult set of circumstances to deal with. And, um, and obviously, you know, not every female police officer that went through that um, would have the same experience, but there were many of us um, that it, it was very difficult to try to juggle that. And then you're sleep deprived. Um, so I, I had my two children, I divorced, I separated from my first husband, uh, when my children were only one and two years old. So I was a single mom working shift work. Um, in a, in a small rural detachment. And in those days we were expected to do voluntary overtime. So I would actually have to pay a babysitter to keep my children overnight in case I got called out. And um, so again, the logistics of those types of issues, we worked, um, the RCMP didn't fall under occupational health and safety in those days. Mm -hmm. So um, we worked alone. Um, very frequently, we would work seven, eight, nine, ten days in a row. Our shifts um, would just go on and on. So incorporating all of that, it, it, it was very difficult, and it's a demanding, psychologically demanding job. And um, yeah, it, what I'm hearing is how, like, how determined were you? Like, there, there obviously was enough of a pull, at, at, like on the positive side of your career to fight your way through this. But again, like what a trailblazer, because I understand, you know, things are not perfect in police forces around the world. We know that, but there has been changes. There at least has been steps forward. You know, I can imagine. And thank you for your, your efforts or your experience in that in making that happen. Well, thank you. And uh, I appreciate that. And, and you're right. There's still a long way to go, but as soon as we brought women into, you know, with, with diversity um, comes strength and power and insight. And when we brought women into policing, um, it, sh it, what it did is showed that there's other ways to do things. And what I didn't realize as a young woman, I was only 23 when I joined um, mm. that, and I spent those first few years trying to be like one of the guys. And that was, um, I think it's so common for women. Yes. You know, we try to fit in, we don't want to stand out. And I certainly in those years didn't want to stand out. But what happened is that I, I lost the uniqueness of what I brought to the profession. I love that you're saying that. Like that, that to me is a, a, one of the messages I want to get out there. And I read something recently and it reminded me, it was all about as a woman, we're not trying to do everything a man does. We can do everything he can't in a sense, you know, it's like our power is in our being feminine or being female. And because we do have different skills and and what I'm hearing you saying is that that's where the power was. Let's bring in new angles and new ways of problem solving and new ways of, of dealing with situations. Yeah, just, just exactly. It was recognizing that, um, you know, I'm, I'm not better at policing than you are. I'm not worse at policing than you are. I'm different. And the difference is the power. It's the strength that we, um, that we look at um, approaching circumstances. 
um, you know, men and women and um, anyone of diversity in the LBGTQ community and everyone, we all have such different perspectives that we can bring into uh, whatever uh, profession, job that we're doing. And with that, we just make everything so much better. And if we, um, and you know, during this process, I do want to make sure I mentioned there, I worked with um, some absolutely incredible men. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting. I, I uh, one of the first um, staff sergeants I had, my first posting was in was in Ottawa for a six year pe period. And then I went back to New Brunswick and, and got into more um, of the uh, rural policing, which I loved because the connections with the community, but he was a staff sergeant who probably had 30 years service, who had been in the RCMP when um, there were horses and um, before women had joined. And he would be asked to send members to um, a particular, um, uh, they had a request for, for support and he would just send whomever. And I remember somebody coming up to him and saying, well, you know, there's, there's, you're sending two women or, or how many women? And he goes, well, why would I, why would I determine how many are men and how many are women when I have five people and you need three and they're all police officers who've done the same training. And that was very forward thinking for somebody um, mm -hmm. from his generation at that time. And basically what he was saying, we've done the same training, you know, yeah. We, yeah. we carry the same equipment, therefore we can do the exact same job, but we may approach it differently. And right. That's right. Okay. I think it's good having that blend. Now, I know that you had a major shift in your life when you got into what we, you know, midlife, shall we say, or turned 50. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, for myself, my midlife was the culmination of all the difficult things that had gone on in my life that I hadn't dealt with. And um, I think we can all relate to the fact that uh, if, you know, if something comes up and we don't want to deal with it at the time, I would always tell myself, well, I'll deal with it when it's convenient. I'll deal with it later. You know, no big deal. Deal with it later. So you have life events. And then when you take first responders every day, we have traumatic events that we're, we're putting on top of this pile. And I say to people, it's like a, it's like having a, um, a shelf and you, and for every difficult memory or circumstance that you put on your shelf, well, the shelf, the infrastructure can only hold so much weight. And that you know, is so true. I actually, I just got a shiver with that. That is a great analogy because really any single book or any single item that you're putting on that shelf, you can handle right. even a bunch of them. Mm -hmm. But at some point in time, there's critical mass and it, it gives. It so gives. I understand that this happened to you. This is exactly what happened. And it was, um, it was actually, I had been, uh, my husband and I were transferred quite a bit different. We had six different, worked in six different provinces. I'd arrived at our training academy and I was to be teaching. It was my first day of work. And um I was teaching not because it was a, a job. Can I, I interrupt for one moment just so I understand. Was this with your first husband or your I'm roommate? Sorry, we, we, I dropped that part of the story. No, that's okay. Yeah. I realized so we I was on something else just so we can follow along. <laughs> yes, that's right. I was a single, single mom yeah. with a one and a two-year-old. Um, a few years later, I remarried when my children were four and five years old to um, another member. And he had three children. So okay. we created a blended family of five children. And um, we're happily married 25 years later. And oh, wonderful. Our adult and he, children. And a, he was a RCMP officer as well. RCMP member for 35 yeah. years. Nice. So nice. Um, 
yeah, it was, you know what, it, it was, um, I have been blessed to have a partner that um, I can, we can support each other through. My husband was diagnosed with PTSD. So the two okay. of us in the same household have PTSD, but I had a, I had a breakdown um, and it was in 20, 2008 when on my first day at work, I was shown uh, 15 manuals that we needed to learn to teach the new cadets coming in. And in that moment, that was the straw for me. I remember my mouth drawing out my brain saying, you're done, you can't do this. And standing there just staring at the books. And I had to leave. I had just met my two colleagues that I'd be working with, uh, told them I was just feeling ill and ran out sobbing and was put off work for three months. But yeah. even in that, um, everybody knew I had been, I was overwhelmed, but we still didn't have discussions about PTSD at that time. It wasn't in the vocabulary. And um, so when I had that, that breakdown, um, I took time off, tried to do some self-care, went into some therapy. But what was happening, and this is something I think is really important for your listeners to understand, is that a lot of times... Um, especially women, we underreport what is going on. Um, not Absolutely. always on purpose. It's not even something that we're aware of, but we're so used to caring for other people. Uh, we put everybody else first and forget um, that, that we're in the equation. And um, on my website, I have a quote by Audrey Hepburn, and, and most women in our age group will know who Audrey Hepburn is, a famous actress. Um, and it says, you will discover that you have two hands one is for helping yourself and the other is for helping others. And um, I love that quote. It, it's yeah. a beautiful quote and we just don't do that. So, so under reporting, not telling people we're not doing well, well, if we don't know that we're not doing well, how, where do you start? Yeah. So it's, it's, it's not that people don't have the will and want to look after themselves. A lot of times they don't even realize that they're struggling. Well, and, I, I totally agree with that. And I just wanted to interject that what comes to mind is when I'm working with my clients is that so often I talk about you, you love, I loved your analogy of putting the books on the shelf. That one's a really good one because there's a breaking point. I talk a bit about the stress of life. So the stress of your job, your family, it is, it's like mud kind of going on us. And I think that when we ignore things over and over and over again, we actually lose perspective of what is okay. You know, when I talk about people being in the mud pit, when we're in the thick of it, when we're at the worst point in our lives, we forget there's sunshine up there. We don't, we have no perspective. So how can we say we're not doing okay if we don't know there is a better? Right? Well, just, just, ex just exactly. You don't know. And society in general, never mind first responders, um, like I said, we did not value mental health. It's always been that other thing, you know, that nobody talks about, um, which is so wrong, because it's part of what makes us human. And, um, you know, the importance of understanding it is part of what makes us human and, and what makes us so unique, no matter what form that comes in absolutely and 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 being and and the mental health is so important as far as one for the person but two for the people around because i oh, did absolutely. my story is my my mom had you know when you talk about having that breakdown moment it used to just be called a nervous breakdown right your nervous system can't take it anymore it's a breakdown my mom had issues and when my parents broke up 
So I know what it was like as a child to watch someone I love, in this case, my mom, not function well. And I, the more, it's more retrospect, but I look back and go, okay, where might this have even stemmed from? And again, that shelf, right? For her, I believe it was also she she was a teenager living in the heart of England during the Second World War. That was her teen years. I can only imagine what she went through. So similar to, you know, you have your normal life experiences, plus you have these. And so people now that are coming from war-torn areas and so forth, what's so important is to deal with trauma in the moment. And there's so many different ways. And Fab at 50, not that we're out there to be, you know, mental health supporters, but I do believe it's a way of processing when we have community, when you have ways to shake off or know that you can go to someone if something is happening, like, or to prevent as it goes further, right? So I know for you, then you were, I think you told me before that you were actually di- officially diagnosed um, with, yes. with so this, what happened right? when I turned when you, 50 in my 50. year, that was, that was my gift. And I don't say that um, tongue in cheek. I say it it was a gift. It was that diagnosis. um, And I was devastated by the diagnosis. Um, I was embarrassed, ashamed, all those things that come with it. And what was interesting is that my husband was diagnosed the year before. Mm. And that was okay because he was a man. That was my perception. And all I knew back then was that uh, PTSD was what happened um, to men that went to war. It was, I was very gender specific and it was okay because they had earned the right to be diagnosed with something like that. And this was my view of it. So when it happened to me, um, you know, I, I was all of those things. I was a letdown. I was a letdown to female police officers at that time. That's what I felt. I was a trailblazer and you're going to do this. But, yeah. But, yeah, but no, wow. all the other women around me that don't have it. Um, I was um, for women in general, like shame on me for. And when I look back and reflect back to that now, and I thought, and those are the thoughts that I had. Oh, it's just so sad that that was what happened. And what I realized is that um, so I was diagnosed in 2013. That is not that long ago. My husband in 2012. And at that time, yeah, most people's uh, perception of PTSD was the Hollywood version. It's what we saw. Or it was the person who uh, the homeless man who was an alcoholic because he was dealing with PTSD. And that was where it started and finished. And I was probably just as guilty as everybody else of having that. So can you share, just so people really understand, because we always say the title is if people understand for you, your experience of it on both how it impacts your life, but on a physiological level, what does that mean for someone to have this? Right. So for me, so, so for me, um, it's the post-traumatic stress disorder um, meant that um, what was happening And what I didn't recognize coming up to a diagnosis of post-traumatic stress disorder is that um, the ability to make decisions was um, impacted. I couldn't even decide what we should cook for a meal. Um, So I became overwhelmed at very 
um, minor things when I used to be able to multitask, you know, two people working in a family and five um, children and two cats and two dogs. And, you know, I, I did it all. So becoming overwhelmed, um, forgetting my memory started to be impacted. I couldn't uh, sleep appropriately. But what was going on was my husband, who also had PTSD. So for, for me, PTSD was more internalized. My yeah. husband's was more external. So moody, you know, he was more the textbook, you know, moody um, things that didn't bother him before. So we had two very different visions of what it looked like. Yeah, and two two ways of expression and, and yes. two ways it manifested. But in reality, what happens is there is actual physiological anatomical like changes in the brain. When you take a brain scan of, say, a healthy functioning brain versus one who has this, they um, they look different on these spec scans. There is a difference. So you can actually track through whether it's therapy or treatments, them getting better again. And I know you're on the road to recovery. You're not fully there yet because we've had some conversations and I know I, I do some really interesting work that, you know, may help, but right now we're, you're going, you're doing some interesting, um, I think some testing and some scanning that will share where you're at, give you a baseline right now. Yeah, just, just exactly. And, um, I've, I've got so many tools now that help me, but I still have struggles and I'll, I'll probably still always have struggles, but, um, hyper arousal is still, you know, a loud noise is, is still very difficult for me. I can't watch anything to do with, um, animals because, um, part of policing and, and part of policing in rural areas or, um, especially back in our day was we were everything. So we didn't have someone to call to deal with an animal that had been hit by a car and to see a, a suffering animal. I've always been tenderhearted. So yeah. um, those traumas, you know, stayed with you. We would have to deal, um, we had ambulance drivers, like they weren't EMTs. So we would be the first people on scene to really mm -hmm. hear accidents and those things. So so some of those things are still with me, the hyper arousal and, and, you know, I can't even watch Dumbo <laughs> and, and, wow. but I can also laugh at myself. I've, I've um, stopped criticizing myself um, and I've accepted who I am and work with what um, new boundaries I've had to set for myself to, to stay healy and positive. So nice. in that, in that journey, um, but for, for my husband and I, it was very different. And, and because of that, um, you know, initially when I was working, um, I went to the operational stress clinic here in Calgary, which is for first responders, um, uh, military, sorry, military and RCMP because we're federal and it's funded, um, through federal programs. It's sad that we don't have that for everybody across the country at equal levels. Because and when we go outside of Canada as well, and to all the different countries, I mean, there is such a disparity on some are ahead of the game and they're using all the different types of therapy that can be supportive because i personally believe that since we're so bio individual is the same therapy it's not like here's the therapy and it fixes everyone everybody needs to gravitate to what works for them and so all around the world but it is getting more acknowledgement there's um, more there's more acknowledgement and i was actually speaking to a paramedic um a few weeks ago and I asked her because she's new, she's a, a younger pair. And she said, the conversation is there now. And she, um, 
she acknowledged what we're doing by bringing these stories out. So she appreciated it. My concern is still about access. It's great to have the conversation, but what happens is that, um, you know, appropriate care means money and time and energy exactly. and, and they yeah. don't want to, you know, so many organizations and at the government levels and that they're, they're not understanding that if you're proactive with it, then, you know, exactly. That will make a difference. And that's what I wanted to bring up. Of course, being a nurse, one of the things that I always look at when people say, well, is this the answer? Is that the answer? And I'm like, yes, yes. And yes. What I have been taught and what I understand for any issue. So in, in this case, you know, the post-traumatic stress, um, but really anything that's going on within our society, we need multiple levels. We need, obviously, we need to give care for the people who already have been diagnosed. Yes. We also need to be out there looking and catching the people that are undiagnosed, that are suffering in silence and, and on their own. And then very importantly, there's two things, is we need the health promotion. What can we be teaching our young children and people now to do to perhaps avoid that. Like there's still going, first responders are always going to be walking into horrendous situations. That's not going to change. And that can be, you know, for me, it was more um, within nursing. I worked on a, a cancer ward and I worked palliative. And some of that, even though, you, you, so for us, it can be very traumatic being around someone dying if, your own mindset isn't around this can also be beautiful. Do you know what I mean? Like there's there's a mindset shift that can happen in the situation. We definitely have and there's supposed to be if there is a code called. And if it's if it's one that was not successful, that can be very traumatic to the people that are trying to resuscitate that person. There needs to be immediate debriefing. So there needs to be both of how do we promote the mental health and how do we mitigate when there is trauma? which ultimately should reduce the amount of post-traumatic stress we have, right? That's yes. Post-traumatic stress is what, what sinks inside of us, not just in our minds, but like truly in our tissue. Cause I'm sure you would, um, support this, that it's not just things not working in our minds is there's more aches and pains and illness throughout the entire body. Well, what, yes, Joanne, like one of the things that I've learned is that, um, it, our bodies do hold, trauma and Absolutely. so I used to say well why am I you know somebody would make a comment or something would go on and the tears would come well the, as I worked through um, therapy and finding out about things it's like oh my gosh you really do absorb the traumas it really is held in us and yeah. have if people had tools like I've got two two key things that um, lines and one is by Dr. Dwayne uh, Wayne Dyer, um, yeah. who uh, the late Dr. Um, Wayne Dyer, who said, you know, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And it's so true. And it's interesting because one of the concepts and one of the struggles my, my husband has had is um, dealing with um, loneliness. And that has to come from his past as well as um, things to do with his work world. But when you change the word lonely, meaning that um, I'm by myself and nobody cares and you change lonely meaning I'm loved and I feel lonely because the person I want to be next to is gone for a week does it ever shift how you look at the circumstances so yeah. 
if I, if we had had those tool sets, it's, you know, we come from a generation that didn't and, and it is what it is, but I believe um, so strongly in the fact that um, it's my job to continue serving. And the way I'm serving is by telling people, look, if you have the tool set, um, and you can go to your toolbox and you understand what's going on. You understand you need to do those things. You understand that there's red flags. And, oh, you know what? I better check in on this. Um, then everybody benefits from it. And if I can share that so that the yeah. newer people coming up through will have those tools, then it will. it's the greatest gift Perfect. that we'll get. I I think that you actually have just asked, uh, answered my two next questions, but maybe we'll do it in a nutshell. If you can share in a summary, what is it you believe in and what do you personally stand for? Oh, gosh. Um, I believe that mental health has value. You know, in, in our world up until present, nobody has valued mental health or very few, I should say, have valued and understood that it's part of the human condition. So yeah. I believe so strongly in it. And I believe that um, everybody matters. Everybody matters. And it was one thing I loved in policing was um, being able to walk up to someone who was struggling. And even if it was somebody I had to take into custody because they their day just hadn't gone well, it was just trying in the time that I was dealing with them to let them know they still mattered. And um, so yeah. It, it's yeah. just um, so important to me that people- That compassion is so important. It, it absolutely is. And to go into jobs like ours um, without having compassion for people um, at their, we see people at their best of times, we see people at their worst of times. And if you don't go into the job with compassion and understanding for the struggles, um, most, what I, what I, and I, I would love to just add this, Joanne, um, it, it was something that came to my mind years ago when I was in policing. I felt like the police were the fishing net of society. So when the education system broke down, so children couldn't learn the same way as everybody else, um, you know, we were the ones that were called and the kids were the 16 year olds out on the streets. Like the healthcare system broke down and couldn't cope with the mental health care. We were the ones that picked up the pieces wow. on the street. When animals were abused because people were angry, we were the ones that picked them up. So for all of the broken systems that we have in society up until now, we have called the police to deal with it. And as society, so it, it really is. And wow. I, yeah. I think it's a message that we don't. Um, and what's happened is that going back to the days when I started, when I started in policing, I had th um, two tools on my on my what we call our, our sidearm or gun belt or whatever. So I had my my revolver that had six bullets in it. That was it. That's all we carried plus a set of handcuffs. And that was it. And look at what you see now that we have had to equip ourselves with or how that has evolved. And um, it's sad because that is not supposed to be the role of the police. We're not we're not capable of fixing all of those systems that are broken. Everybody, everybody calls, um, calls on us to do that. And it was sad because I wanted to fix everything and I couldn't. And I knew that we weren't the organization that should have been dealing with all kinds of different things. Yeah, it really sounds like that is 
truly a fantastic insight on how and why, because it does default to yes. the policing of the world, that more collaboration of each Absolutely. of the others, whether it be social work or something in the education or something in the mental health, that for the safety of them, when things have gone awry, you need the police, but you also need the support workers and maybe more teamwork. So yeah. back to our summary with, um, so what you truly believe in is that mental health matters, that there's things that we can do for it. And that if you notice things going awry, get help. Yes. And what do you personally stand for? I personally stand for um, providing first responders with a sense of hope and know, I want them to know that no matter how far down they go, um, I went from not even being able to leave my home at the worst of the worst with my, with, um, my struggles to speaking a couple of years ago um, at a um, first responder suicide awareness conference to 800. Wow, what a huge leap. That is so incredible. And can you share with our listening audience how and where they can go? Because I know it's not a program that you have set up right now. It's more of, it's a, it's a resource, it's a website, it's where people can go to, whether they are a first responder themselves or a friend of someone or a family and they wanna find more info. How, how and where can they find you? Sure. So my website is CynthiaHamiltonUrquhart.com. And I'm sure you'll have that. Um, yeah, it's all in the show notes. Oh, perfect. So that uh, I know my last name is hard to spell. Um, yeah. And, and the purpose of it right at this point, because this is new for me. This is a new journey for me. Sharing, um, putting everything out there is very difficult coming from a policing background where we were um, private, quiet, and... Um, yeah. That everything and so what I the purpose of my website at this point is to allow people um, and draw people in who are struggling to say hey come in here and feel safe to uh, take a read of what's gone on in my world and a lot of people um, would make comments to me how did you manage how did you survive this and it's like it's you can do this um, and you're not alone I have contact information if someone is struggling and wants to reach out and just have a conversation, um, whether it's through email or, or um, uh, a call of some sort, it's a safe place. And whether you're a first responder, family, friends, even someone who's struggling with, with PTSD, please come. And I do have, um, I do have a download if you sign up for, for my newsletter. And it just gives you um, some tips about things that can really help make a difference on Excellent. your day journey. Perfect. And on that note, um, like that was perfect. It sounds like I scripted you on that and I didn't. We always, no. <laughs> end, I, we always end our conversation with me asking if you could share three tips. Now I know you probably, your download has many more, but maybe a couple tips from there. So if you have an uh, idea of what they are, and then just another tip that just comes to mind that your pearls of wisdom that sure. we can take away. Um, well, and the first one I'm going to, to go to, and just so the listeners know, you didn't ask me to say this, but it's connection and community um, is so important. And I didn't understand how much I needed that if I was going to heal. So, um, you know, having connected with you, Joanne, and the Fabulous 50 uh, group of women is... Um, 
you just know you're not alone because we all, we all sharing and connecting and our stories and sharing our stories, it, it gives everybody strength because it just, it just helps you to go, hey, I'm not alone. And we need to know we're not alone. And we need to feel like we're part of something. So the, the, connection. the Fabulous 50 community is so important. Um, so Thank connection, you. community. Connection. Um, another one is dare to be different. And what I mean by that, <laughs> it's, it's funny. Um, it's just by daring to be different, it means allow yourself to be who you are. And if it means you stand out in a crowd, then stand out in the crowd. And it gives you a sense of, um, it gives you permission to find out who you are. So I spent my life trying to fit in and I had a box and I had a uniform that I wore and everything was just set up for me. And when I retired, that was gone. And I think that's very common for women our age, you know, whether it's the empty nest, whether it's you're retiring, um, everything has kind of been set out for us. And we've spent so much time focusing on everyone else. We forget that we're actually- I, I love that you're person. using that one because what you're not aware of is um, one of the, an, an anthology chapter book that I have a, a, a submission in is called um, Be Daring. Yes. And so, and I talk about that and what I do, and, and it's so akin to what you're saying. You're saying dare, dare to be different. And mine is talking about be daring as opposed to lots of times people talk about, oh, I'm being brave and I'm overcoming. But I think there's a difference between being brave and being daring. And I like daring has an element of adventure. And yes. so when you're talking about daring to be different, then add adventure to your difference. Be daring. Make make what it is unique and authentic about you exciting and 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 it's got a sense of adventure and i know you're on an adventurous quest right now so we've got community connection dare to be you or dare to be different and what what's a third what's a third one well um i think one thing that is important to understand is that not everybody will get it not everybody will get you not right. everybody and we look for validation from people um, I didn't realize how much it was interesting. My uniform gave me permission to do the job I needed to do to do in the difficulties. But when I took that uniform off, I had, I had a really hard time, um, accepting that. So it's, it's, you know, you have to understand that not everyone will get you, not everybody will like it. Um, but don't let it shut down who you are. Don't, don't use, don't seek validation for someone to say, Hey, it's okay that you do this. Just do it. Um, I, it's funny. What I recognize that. is that there's a side of me. Um, I love children and I love uh, playfulness. And I think it's because of all the things that I dealt with in my policing world. I loved it, but I stuffed that down. So if I'm taking my groceries out to my car and I feel like jumping on the back of the cart while it rolls down, <laughs> I do it. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I remember the first That's time. Almost a fourth. I, you're sneaking in a fourth. Be playful. Yes, I am. So I, I, I'm laughing here because I just love what you're saying here. Because, you know, when you go to the Fabulous at 50 uh, website, you can, if you're not on our newsletter, you want to get on our newsletter, then you can choose the download that we have, the ebook that says, Make Mind Fabulous, 21 Ways to Energize Your Life. And what you're talking about are is this. This is more that first, like if you want to help integrate and and avoid trauma settling in yourself, these are tips that can actually help flip you from the downside of life to the upside. 
And I love all the those tips. And, and one of the things that came to mind when you were talking, and I don't think we really got too much chance to go into, is I know that you said that sound and music has been one of the main ways that you have, um, I guess, filled your soul would be a good way of putting it in like a quick little summary there. How, how has that worked for you? It's been incredible. I always loved music. I got away from it. My parents, uh, we always had music in the house and um, I got away from it through through life and I found it again. But what I did is I, I had always wanted to take voice lessons. And so I, I was the grown woman standing with the eight-year-olds in the little music store and I was waiting to go into my voice lesson. And I remember standing there going, oh my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. But what I did was the voice lessons, it was about me hearing my, my own voice. So I actually took it literally and I went in there and it was brutal at first. It was, oh my God, I can't stand my voice. And I know I have an okay singing voice. I know that now and I can actually say it. So it was about doing something for me that I had always wanted to do. And it was my husband and I have the most wonderful partner, I'm so blessed, who said, then why aren't you doing it? And he kept pushing it. And I really oh. didn't have, I didn't I got to meet your husband. That is so wonderful. You know what I love about the fact that you said you were taking voice lessons? One, it was you were being daring. Yes. You were looking for approval for anyone else. And, you know, and it was also playful. Yes. Right, and allowed you. And so I, I'm going to use that little segue now to just... Um, say thank you so much for being on today's podcast but also for joining the fabulous at 50 community and being part of it and joining and being um not just part of the greater community but becoming one of the fab club members and and i just want to share that for the listening audience that one of the things that i do and what i offer is when you do become a paid member i offer a, a once a week on a Tuesday, one hour, a different theme each week. And so one of them is called community connections. And so that's what you're talking about is you want to come together in what, what is a community for you. So we offer a community for like-minded women who want to be functioning on the upside of life, um, who are in what we call midlife. So that is a range kind of late forties, well into our sixties. And because we're going through similar, um, circumstances you know whether it become the empty nester or so forth and there is also one of the themes is sensational self-care and the fact that music worked for you and i know that sound therapy really worked for me to bring about that release and i as a sound practitioner work on um i offer sessions for an emotional release using voice and toning and what we talked about things traumas that sit in our body what i love about this technique is that you do not necessarily have to go back into the story and you can release that and feel lighter we had a wonderful lesson the other day and so bringing in even though we're not singing we sometimes do toning we use tibetan bowls and so i think there's such a connection between cynthia and i that the first time we met what did we talk for like two hours i think it was <laughs> And we could keep going 
we could keep going on today, but the point of what I'm saying right now is that if you are listening and you want more of this energy in your life and you want to get to know Cynthia more, go and check out her website, but also you can meet her just by coming to the Fabulous of 50 events and we're meeting in real time, live, it's not all recordings, um, on our events and you can just meet the most fascinating women. So Cynthia, I know that we need to go now. Actually, what maybe we'll do is I'll hit record when we do the debrief in the after and we can always put it up in the membership site because <laughs> I'm sure we'll keep talking for a while. But for everyone else that's listening right now, thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm, I'm going to leave on a serious note that if you are questioning your own mental health, do not ignore that. Go and reach out, whether it's your family doctor, talk to a friend, just go to someone who is trusted, you know, contact one of us even if you're in our communities and and we will support you and the other people um, that are resources will support you in finding the resource that you need to help get you the support. It's no different as far as I'm concerned as you have a broken arm, you have, you know, gout in your, you have diabetes, whatever that the illness is that you have, there is help out there on many levels for you. Yes, well, and Joanne, thank you so much for having me. And I feel humbled and honored um, to be able to share part of my story with you and your audience. And um, I just um, support everything that Joanne said is that just remember that you do matter. You do and um, give yourself the gift of care and look after yourself and, and we're here. We're here yeah. as well. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Cynthia. Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. You've been listening to the Fabulous at 50 podcast with your host, Joanne Neweduck. Join us again for more inspirational interviews on topics that matter to you. If you like what you've heard on today's episode, check out the liner notes or to learn more about this vibrant community that celebrates women over 50, please visit fabulousat50.com. That's www.fabulousat50.com.